tough or fluff? That's a question I heard exchanged between two friends on a TV show I was watching the other night. And as soon as they said that, tough or fluff, I knew exactly what they were getting at. Maybe you do as well. Uh, suppose you go to your, your friend with a question like, hey, friend, I'm thinking about bringing back my big bows and fashion from the 80s. What do you think about it? I mean, we should clearly bring it back, right? Or, hey, friend, like, I've been thinking about, like, changing career paths and instead of preaching, becoming a rap artist, despite the fact that I have no experience, no rhythm, and am totally tone deaf. Um, or you say to your friend, like, can you believe that Bob disagreed with me that Millie Vanilli isn't greater than the Beatles when it comes to music? If you don't know Millie Vanilli, go home and research it. But, um, but perhaps your friend comes to you with like a more serious question, a question like, hey, like, I wasn't out of line to say that to my partner, right? Or my reaction was totally justified in that work situation, wasn't it? Or it's not my fault that they got hurt, is it? Tough or fluff? What are you kind of fishing for with your question. Uh, do you want the, the real honest, like put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand and tell the truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God response from your friend. Do you want tough or do you want fluff? Do you want them to, um, to just tell us exactly what it is that, that you want to hear? Do you want them to, to um, just agree with you without giving it a second thought? Do you want them to, to be on your side no matter what, no matter how off course you may have gotten? Tough or fluff? A good friend, they usually know what you're kind of needing in that moment. Let's just be honest. We all need to be fluffed from time to time, right? But the problem comes in when there is nothing but fluff in our lives. The problem comes in when we only want to hear what we want to hear, when we never want to be questioned or held accountable. In essence, trouble comes in when you want people to say in the words of the great Millie Vanilli or whoever actually sang their songs, girl, you know it's true, whatever it is you've said, or you start feeling like whatever happens, you can just blame it on the rain. And if you don't know those lyrics, I'm very sad for you. Please go home and Google it and thank me later. But that is where we find David in today's passage. We find him surrounded by fluff. We find him drowning in it. In fact, he is the king of Israel. He is at the pinnacle of power. He's at the tip top of the kingdom because, well, God has given this position to him. God had given him this calling. He has anointed him and set him apart to be king. God has given him everything that had once been Saul's. God has given him all the land that was Israel and Judah. God is the one who had done all of this for him. It had all been a gift, a gift of grace, a gift from above. But now that David has become king and he's ascended up to the throne, rather than waiting for God to give to him, he's decided that he's just going to take a little bit. 
if you were here last week, then um, you heard this story, or if you're familiar with David's story, then, then you'll remember this. But we see him as he becomes king, do things like take Bathsheba, who was not his wife. And when Bathsheba be, became pregnant, what does he do? He takes again. This time he takes Bathsheba's husband out of battle and brings him home, hoping that he and his wife will be together and he'd be able to cover up all this that had happened. But when that doesn't work, guess what he does? He takes again. This time he takes the life of Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, sending him to the front lines where he would surely die. It was calculated. It was cold. It was callous. But then as if David had not already taken enough, guess what he does? He takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Rather than relying on the God who had so generously given to him, it's, it's like suddenly something has shifted in David. Suddenly he, he is instead feeling as if he knew better, like he had a better plan. Instead of receiving power from God, he starts trusting in his own power and in his own strength. It seems like he suddenly feels entitled, like he deserves to take whatever it is that he wants whenever he wants it. And that he's either completely blind to what has happened within him, or he's just really, really hoping that God just somehow hasn't noticed all this. Because one thing is for sure, no one else is going to question him about it. Remember, he is the king of Israel. He's at the pinnacle of power. He's at the tip top of the kingdom. He's the one that God has chosen to lead. And so he's surrounded by all these people that when he says jump, they say, how high? And whenever he gives his opinion or offers orders, everyone says, yes, sir. And they just nod right along with him. People were supposed to be his loyal subjects who fluff, 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 not be tough. However, God had, of course, noticed what had happened in David's life. He had watched him stop giving, receiving what God was giving to him. And he'd watched him begin to take and to take and to take. And so God calls uh a prophet, a prophet named Nathan, to go and to deliver a message to King David. We don't get to see what that conversation looked like, but can you imagine being Nathan in this position? You know, like no one wants to confront the king and you get this call from God like, hey, you're the one, go and talk to him, good luck. I'm sure it went great. But regardless, what we do know is that, that David and Nathan have already established a relationship. Um, we can look back and we can see in Second Samuel 7 that, that they had, had had a conversation before that God had sent him, uh, had sent Nathan to give David another message that was filled with promises. In that message, he promises to make his name great and to give a place for his people. He promises to give him rest from his enemies and establish his kingdom forever. He, he goes and, and he tells King David that God is never, ever, ever going to take his love away from him. And so this first exchange between David and Nathan had been a lot of fluff, right? It had been a very positive one. 
Nathan had gotten to bring all these beautiful promises from God. But now in the second encounter, the God who gives and gives and gives, this time he sends Nathan to give David something else. This time it's a story and a story that is going to be tough. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan goes before David and he says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. I want you to picture this in your mind, okay? The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. I just want you to picture this man like surrounded by all the sheep and cows that he possibly could have. Like he can't even move, right? He's got so many of them. And then over here, I want you to imagine this. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Can you see the contrast here? So many sheep, so many cattle over here. One little ewe lamb. And then Nathan goes on. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Who else is furious irate, just totally outraged at the behavior of the rich man. I'm going to put my hand way up, right? I can see you nodding along. Like, how dare this guy? How dare this guy who has so much extravagant abundance take away from this other man his one and his only prized possession? It is so easy to get very fired up very quickly about just the, the depth of this injustice. So easy, in fact, that guess who else gets fired up about it? King David himself. This is what um, 2 Samuel 12 goes on to say in verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. <sighs> right? Clearly, the similarities between King David's own story of taking had, had just like sailed right over his head. And so I could just imagine Nathan standing there hearing his response and thinking to himself, like, so this is how this is going to go, right? Like, it couldn't be the easy way. He couldn't figure it out on his own, right? I can imagine him taking this deep breath, and preparing himself because the time had come for him not to fluff, but to be tough. He looks King David straight in the eye, and this is what he says. You are the man. That's pretty clear, right? You are the man. And then he goes on and he reminds him about how God had given him so, so much. And then he starts to tell him about how his actions had set off all these events that were yet to play out in his life. Things that were going to be very hard. But what had happened in this moment is God had worked through Nathan to go before David and like hold up a mirror. 
hold up a mirror so that David could, could clearly see himself, so that he could see how he had had the same kind of greed and the same kind of cruelty when he had taken Uriah's one and only wife, Bathsheba, just like the rich man had taken that ewe lamb in the story. David had demanded death and restitution whenever the, the person was, was this unknown, nobody from nowhere. But how will he react now? Now that he knows that he is the person at the center of the story, how will he react now that a mirror has been held up so that he can see himself? I wonder if this has ever happened to you. Maybe you've uh, been going throughout your day, doing lots of things, been to the store, been to the library, ran into work, uh, gone to visit your family, whatever. You've been out and about, not sitting at home. And suddenly, you know, you, you get to a place where you finally like look at yourself in the mirror and you all of a sudden realize like, oh man, like something is not right here, right? Like something is amiss. Have I really been going around town like this? You know, maybe you have like a big piece of spinach in your teeth, or maybe you have this big spill down the front of your shirt from your coffee that you drank like five hours earlier. Maybe you look in the mirror and you're like, what is happening here? And you realize that like, you've only put your eye makeup on like one side or, um, or the that uh, maybe you look and, and you see that you have like something dangling down in your hair that, that sh- should not be there, right? And you've talked to all these people all this time and here you are. Whenever you do that, whenever you look in the mirror and you see yourself, then you like have a decision to make, right? You have a few choices. Um, the other day, I'll confess to you guys, um, I was getting ready to go somewhere very important. It was a wedding. And so I had like put on a fancy dress and I'd fixed my hair. I had put my makeup on and even like gone and carefully selected a sweater just in case I got cold while I was there. And I was ready. You know, I was like all put together, I thought. And I took off towards my car and realized I didn't have my phone. And so I was like, well, I'll run back in and get it. And I run back in the house. I grab my phone. But in the process, I turn and I see myself in our full length mirror. And whenever I do, what I discover is that I had on my fancy dress with my house shoes still on. I was about to pull a Reba McIntyre, you know. Um, I know my music references are really showing my age today. But, you know, like my house shoes weren't necessarily like this fluffy, you know. But um, they're ugly and they're just like um, chunky and just not meant to really see the light of day. They also did not at all match the dress that I had on. Um, and, and so like whenever I looked at myself in the mirror, whenever I caught that glimpse of how I looked in that moment, I had a choice to make. You know, like I, I could have in that moment uh, thought, you know what, I'm just going to live in denial. I'm going to act like I never even saw it. Didn't happen. Uh, those aren't my shoes that I have on in that moment. And I'm just going to like going to keep on keeping on. Or I could have looked in that mirror and chosen um, deceit. <laughs> you know, I could have looked in the mirror and said, like, I see it. I see those shoes on my feet. But. I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to go on and I'm going to hope that nobody notices. Like maybe my dress is long enough to hide it. Or I could have gone like the complete opposite direction. And I could have, have been like so distraught that I almost went out into public looking like this, that I just like completely fell apart and shut down and decided like, I'm not going to go out at all. I could have become completely paralyzed by devastation. 
David, he had all those same options whenever Nathan held up this mirror for him to see himself. He could have taken the denial route and said, you know what, Nathan, that's not me in that mirror that you're talking about. And he could have just like kept right on doing what he was doing, um, just, just refusing to see how he was hurting himself and others. He could have looked in that mirror and chosen um, the denial, uh, the, the deceit route, and he could have said, you know what, um, he's got me figured out, but I'm the king, and so I can just kind of like take Nathan out because lots of kings did that in that day if a prophet came and delivered a message they didn't particularly like. So I'll just take him out and hope that no one else finds out my dirty little secret. Or he could have taken the devastation route, and he could have just never, ever, ever recovered from his mistake. He could have have just let it become the thing that absolutely defined his life, and he could have given up right then and right there. However, David models something important for us instead. Instead of denial or deceit or devastation, he models for us repentance. First, he confesses. This is verse 13. He says this to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice he doesn't say, I have sinned against the Lord because, and then taken off on some big, long, flowery explanation uh, of why he had done this wrong thing. Notice he doesn't go on and say, I have sinned against the Lord, but, and then like tried to shift blame to this person or to something else. Rather, he just gets honest and he humbly takes responsibility for his actions. I have sinned against the Lord. In that moment, what he does is he agrees with God. He agrees with this message that he has sent to him through the prophet Nathan. And at its heart, that's what confession is. Confession is agreeing with God about the truth. The truth that we need him. Not because God is mad at us and he needs us to say those words so, so that we can appease him with some special formula. Um, not because he's on this power trip and he needs us to stroke his ego uh, by saying that he was right and we were wrong. But rather because he loves us. He's crazy about us. And he wants to give to us. It's his delight. In fact, Jesus gave his very life to offer all of us, without exception, his forgiveness. The question is never, ever, is he going to give us his grace? It's always a matter of us allowing ourselves to simply experience what he is already trying to give to us, but that we keep refusing over and over and over again with our denial, with our deceit, with our devastation. David confessed he looked in the mirror, and instead of, of denial or deceit or devastation, he agreed. He agreed that he had taken what was not his and that he needed God to give to him, to give him his grace. That is how repentance starts. But imagine if I had looked in my mirror that day, I had stood there in my fancy dress and my house shoes, and I had agreed, like, this is all wrong, right? This is not right. Um, I've got to, I got to do something about this. Maybe I even like shed a few tears and, and felt just like really, really bad about it. But then I just turned and, and walked right away back into my day, forgetting that it had ever even really happened. 
that's not really repentance, is it? No, repentance leads us toward change. It's not like repentance demands that we suddenly like make this reversal and become perfect in that moment, but rather it starts us in a process. Repentance guides us to, to start switching out our shoes. Repentance guides us to turn away from our desire to take for ourselves, not out of shame, not out of fear, not out of compulsion, but rather because we have experienced God's great love for us and we cannot help but to be transformed by it. At this point in David's story, we, we start to watch this happen. We, we watch him experience God's great love for him and, and we see him start to turn and begin to, to seek after God's heart once again. We watch him begin to, to, to take what God gives to him rather than taking what he can get. But that doesn't mean that his story is just like sunshine and roses and rainbows from there. Yes, his actions were absolutely, totally, completely forgiven. But remember, it, it, it had set into motion some consequences, some consequences that were still yet to come in David's life. Consequences that involved like unthinkable loss and war and his sons repeating his, his bad behavior and betrayal within his own family. But the difference is, through repentance, now David is not going to face any of that all on his own. Whether he is going to face all of it with the God who gives, rather than having to try to take all those matters into his own hands. Now, you and I, we, we don't all necessarily have a Nathan in our life that can kind of walk up and say, like, have this message from God and kind of help us see ourselves in that moment. I have a few people in my life that I trust enough and have cultivated a relationship with enough who are like that with me. And I, I appreciate that. But whether or not we have a, a physical person like that in our lives, the truth of the matter is God the Father has given us through Jesus, his son, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he fluffs us when we need it, right? The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are deeply loved children of God when we have forgotten it. The Holy Spirit encourages us when we are, are hurting. Um, the Holy Spirit encourages us to live our lives in the freedom and the abundance that God so wants for us. But the Holy Spirit can also get tough with us. The Holy Spirit can hold up a mirror so that we can see that all is not well, that we have spinach in our teeth, or we still have our house shoes on, that we are doing things that are, are hurting us and that are hurting others. And it's at that point that we get a choice. Will we live in denial or deceit and devastation, or will we choose repentance? Will we confess and allow God to begin this process of changing us. Throughout uh, today's service, you've been hearing Psalm 51, um, a psalm that was written by David, um, and it's said to have been written right after this confrontation between him and Nathan. As you hear it, you can hear in, in his words, like his, his brokenness. You can hear how, how um, heartbroken he is, recognizing the harm that he has done, the wrong that he has done in his life. But you can also hear his desire for God to not leave him there, his desire for God to begin this process of lovingly transforming him. Maybe you need this to be your prayer today. And if so, I invite you um, to make these words your own. 
Uh, But as you listen, uh, I'll read it for us once more. This time what I want you to listen for is what is God calling you to be or to do through these words? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Reflect for a moment. What is God calling you to be or to do?